Jim Joyce. Now it's me again. Look at that. <laughs> Ma- Ma- Marina, Marina. Marina's been fired from co-hosting. <laughs> right, 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 right. She uh, she disvolunteered. Is that even a term? I don't know. Volunteered, disvolunteered. <laughs> This does, this does, <laughs> this does. But uh, no, yeah. but I'm gl- I'm glad uh, it was a fun discussion. Um, at least I had fun. I don't know uh, if our viewers and listeners did, but <laughs> right, right, our viewer. <laughs> Come our on, millions, millions, millions. Right, right, I, right. So, before we get so, to let our guest in, how how are you doing? What's going on? Yeah, no, uh, the crazy life of a digital health kind of fast growing opportunity <laughs> is continues. <laughs> Not continues. I like it. It's nice to I see like it. <laughs> a nice, it's nice to see the, um, uh, actually your friend, your buddy, Rob Garber's in town. Cause he's on the, yeah. you know, he's chairing on the board. Okay. Um, and awesome. it's nice to see the one medical stuff happen. Like what's your take on one medical Amazon kind of, what's your, you know what, take? honestly, I, it, it's funny because our, our news with Twill came out the same day. So we got kind of like, you right. know, it was, a, <laughs> uh, we, we, we got overshadowed. I, I thought our news was more important to be, to be frank. Um, it was. Honestly, I almost don't want, I, I there, there's so many takes on it um, and teardowns. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, look, I, I, I personally still think that Amazon, needs to control their costs they have you know millions of employees that's first and foremost um and they've tried this a few times before um right. and now it just you know one sided made sense you got the primary care so it, it makes sense from just pure even employer not to mention other contracts and revenues and all of that but you know 3.6 yeah. billion let's see where it goes right um our, 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 our next, our, our guest today is a very busy CEO. So we're going to let her in if you don't mind. And we awesome. maybe we'll, 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 uh, we'll see if we can take her take on it as well as, as, as Sarah joining us. Okay. Hey there. Good. Hi, Eugene. James. So nice to see you. Same. Hey, Sarah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I know we have many folks in common, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to uh, to be on here. We were just Jim and I were catching up as 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 usual before we let our guest in. We were talking about the Amazon One Medical deal, um, as mm-hmm. as it's been in the news, um, o- overshadowing everything else. So before before you go introduction, <laughs> any one liner on that one? <laughs> No, you know, look, I think Amazon is an incredible infrastructure. There are some really thorny problems to solve here. I love that they're taking advantage of the momentum that One Medical has built. And I think it speaks to the power of innovation, right? One Medical has done a great job building a differentiated product and market. Amazon's done some testing on their own, but we've seen them be acquisitive in the past when they start to notice some traction, but realize there's a better way of going about it. They started doing their own shipment and food, for example, and then decided that buying whole foods was the way to go. And I think what that means for folks in categories like ours is stay laser focused on your mission, know and understand your remote, build something amazing, and then opportunities come your way. Wow. You know, you know, it's funny, Sarah, I basically <laughs> said the same thing, but much less eloquently. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. What do we have anyway, you for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, w- welcome to the shot. Um, I, I don't know what, what your geographical time zone is for the shot. You know, we're both in Europe. Uh, so I think we are ready almost for the shot. Um, 
but um, welcome. I am. I'm based in Austin, Texas. So ooh, that's minus, kind of the, the hot spot minus of the world. Seven, minus seven from me, and I guess minus six hours from you, right? Um, yeah. I, I can do the math. But for our millions of viewers, listeners, Sarah, take us through your life journey, um, whichever <laughs> oh way God. you want. And whatever way you know, short, yeah. long, <laughs> tidy. Sure. I mean, gosh, where to even start? Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm the oldest of four kids. Oh. Uh, healthcare has actually been a part of my life since a pretty early stage. My dad worked in the pharmaceutical industry, um, but kind of a non-conventional path, actually. Doesn't have a college degree started as a janitor and worked his way up to really owning a lot of technical development on the pharmaceutical engineering side. Wow. He had a hugely significant role in just sort of shaping um, the way I think about the world, the way I think about work. I always loved watching the way that he loved work. And I think that was a really powerful motivator, especially as a kid. You know, he grew up in poverty in Delaware. Uh, he was the second oldest of four kids. His dad died when he was young. And so it just gave him a unique perspective on the world, but I would say what company? Uh, what it was company? a company called Glot Air Techniques and they Ooh. did fluidized bed manufacturing for a lot of generic pharma companies. So Tava, okay. Redis, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and one of my first summer jobs when I was in high school was working in the file room at his company and just like tracking all of these different pharmaceutical companies, trying to understand how this part of the world worked. And I think that's interesting and relevant as we get to the conversation around found, because while I'm super crunchy and I believe in lifestyle change and our own ability <laughs> to drive towards behaviors, I also realize that there's a lot of things that we can't address on our own. And I think that farm is a powerful tool for that. Um, so as I said, I grew up in New Jersey. I had a very non-traditional education background. I went to music school. Awesome. I should have oh, wow. a of music degree in flute performance. Um, which qualifies you to do very little outside of playing <laughs> orchestra upon graduation. Um, but I was lucky enough my junior year of college to study abroad in Prague, right as it was acceding to the EU. Amazing city. Amazing city. Um, gosh, I'm dying to get back there. But it really opened my eyes up to broader geopolitical considerations. And as much as I loved music and playing the flute, I, I just felt like the world was such a big place and there was so much more I wanted to learn. Um, had a tough time though getting a job out of school that wasn't in an orchestra and so I ended up doing AmeriCorps which is the U.S. version of the Peace Corps so you do two mm. years of service okay I worked in Chicago on uh, financial access for low-income families through things like tax returns opening first bank accounts um, getting folks financial aid to go to college it was great exposure wow. I loved um, love the city of Chicago as well. The winters were a bit much for me though. So when right, I right. finished that and simultaneously finished grad school, um, got a master's in public policy at Northwestern. I moved to LA um, mostly to escape the winters and, and actually a bad relationship. Uh, and I went to a hedge fund in 2007, right? Wow. Uh, financial system was falling apart, but I, I mean, I have to, I have to, I have to stop yeah. for a second. Do you know how many, how many, uh, fluidists, public policy, master's students, <laughs> uh, volunteers that did a summer in Pro or a junior year in Prague that had become hedge. We've had so many ones that ultimately become hedge fund managers. It's such a typical, right? it's such an archetype. I mean, I just kind of, I could have pictured it right away. Yeah. Oh Sorry, go God. ahead. <laughs> no, I feel like my curiosity has led me throughout my career and investing is a really great field to go into if you're a curious individual. There's a lot to learn. 
I think there are patterns that you start to develop. Like, what does a great management team look like? And who's thinking effectively about supply chain management and asset allocation? And it's just a great place to get exposure to a range of things. Right. Um, And I learned a ton. I was there for four years, really, really valued and appreciated that definitely during a challenging economic time. And so even as we look at, you know, the, the macro headwinds right now and the idea of a recession on the horizon, you know, being a deep value investor during the financial crisis taught me a thing or two about capital preservation and asset allocation. And no one wants to be going through a moment like this, but I think businesses can be built and scaled even during tough economic times. Um, Then I did a few years in strategy consulting, focused on social good, philanthropy, social impact, Um, then moved to Austin about seven years ago for a startup in the clean beauty space. And if I'm honest, that wasn't necessarily the space that like kept my heart racing, but I felt like I could learn a lot from the leader of that company. I wanted to switch from being an investor and a consultant to being an operator. And he was a world-class operator who'd been at scaled consumer businesses, felt like it was a great way to learn. What um, What's clean? Did you say clean beauty? Clean beauty, like sustainable okay. beauty. Clean okay, beauty sustainable. Beauty. Okay. Right. Okay. To, yeah. yeah. Think about the beauty I'm, industry. I'm, and I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then I went to, to Bumble, which is a dating app you may be familiar with. We've yeah, heard. We've heard We've something about sailed, it. Sailed by us. Sailed by us. <laughs> you know, I think one of the most special things about Bumble is that it was always about more than dating. It really understood its opportunity as a brand and as a cultural force to shift the narrative. And I, I think as I reflect now as a CEO, as a business leader on what makes great businesses it's often when the mission is bigger than the product itself and right. when the leader in this case Whitney understood from the get-go that it was always going to be about more than dating it was about women it was about kindness it was about accountability online equality and relationships she built an incredible business and I was honored to be able to play a small part in that I was there for four years from the time it was about 30 people um, through to the IPO and three years wow. into my journey there I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer um, in May of 2020, two months into the pandemic, very oh, strange wow. to be diagnosed um, when no one can even hug you or comfort you. You can't bring your friends and family to chemo. Um, wow. And that was a, you know, as I said, I've had exposure to healthcare throughout my life, but that was probably my first time being up close and personal and being the patient myself in such a wow. way. And, and, and you were in Austin then, right? Just to... I, I was, I was, I had access to an incredible oncologist there. I did do a a decent chunk of my treatment though at MD Anderson. Um, I had, you know, pretty aggressive form of the disease and a lot of residual disease post-surgery. And so I was grateful to have something like MDA in my backyard and care there. Um, And I am now cancer-free for a year and a half. Still, Yay. still on medication, and I think this, you know, bear this comes to bear with my journey with found as well. But you know, I'll be on meds for the rest of my life, and that just is what chronic disease is. And you right. find ways to manage it. You know, I regularly so, hike, I exercise every day, I I live the life that I want to, and yet medication is going to be part of my journey to try yeah. to keep the disease at bay in perpetuity. We, we have this so, term. Sorry, maybe- uh, sorry, we have this term in in. In our company, we call it chronically well. You know, mm. people are chronically well. 
Yeah. Um, so that feels like, so we're glad you're chronically well. Sorry, Eugene. No, I was going to say, so Marina, my wife, um, she went through, she's a breast cancer survivor. And I just wanted to show you, um, I got her this that says uh, it's a um, laser 314 is a graffiti artist in Amsterdam. And um, if you can see these wounds shield me. Wow. Um, and that was very kind of meaningful to her because yes, there's wounds inside and out, but they do shield and makes her stronger. So I'm glad you're stronger and um, and that you're on, on the path and, and, and chronically well, right? So. Yeah. And does Marina, do, do you know Marina? I don't know, no. Okay. No, okay. but you, you two should meet. So we'll-, we'll, we'll I we'll, would love that. Right. Please introduce us. There is a, um, a shared solidarity that, you know, only someone who's gone through that experience yep. can understand. And sure. It's funny, I still- I personally don't yet feel ready to take the the mantle of survivor. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the right descriptor for me. I think maybe because I'm still in treatment, maybe because right. I've also had so many that are close to me that I've met on my treatment journey that, that are no longer yeah. with us or that are very much in treatment. Um, it doesn't feel like it's ever anything I'll fully put behind me, right. but at the same time, I do feel like it's shaped my outlook in such a unique way. And it was certainly a big part of what drove me to found. So I left Bumble shortly after the IPO. Um, felt privileged to get to be a C-level executive there for four years, but I, I wanted to go build again. And initially I was terrified of doing anything in digital health, right? I love consumer technology. I'm open to social media, marketplace, e-commerce, even FinTech. But I said like, no, 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 don't bring me anything in digital health. But then got to the place where, you know, after a chapter like Bumble, where you're bringing someone the relationship that could be the most significant person in their life, you know, the only thing that rose to the same level of significance is relationships felt like health. And then you start digging into health and there's been such an enormous amount of innovation in the care delivery models, but those are all focused on downstream effects, right? Diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, MSA, the root of so much of this is weight and obesity we really have not adjusted the social narrative or conversation around weight. You know, there's been wonderful advancements and things like body positivity. How do we hold that and also drive people towards better health outcomes and finding more joy in their bodies? There has to be a way to thread that needle. So I got really excited about playing a part in, in doing that, shifting the narrative, and then also taking all the amazing innovation that has happened in care delivery for obesity right? There's incredible pharmacological innovation. Yep. There's new models of integrated care delivery. They were happening at places like these academic weight management centers at Columbia and Cornell, but no one could access it. The people that needed it most couldn't even get on the wait list at Cornell right. or Columbia. Less than right. 1% of docs in the States are trained in obesity medicine. And yet 70% right. of the country struggles with obesity or overweight. So this was a classic supply demand mismatch where technology could be the grandma that created some scalability that could get the right tools in the hands of people who are trying to take control of their weight and their health. And I felt like we could really treat it as a chronic disease, as a, as a medical or health challenge, not just a, you know, do I look good in my bikini on Instagram? Like this is a much bigger conversation than self-image. It's really about helping people find joy in their bodies and drive towards better health outcomes. You know, we, we always say, and, um, it, well, Marina actually says this, so I'll, I'll, I'll tag right on to we, right? Uh, but she always says people don't feel um, 
they don't know how bad they feel until they feel better, right? Um, uh-huh. It's like you get used to just feeling a certain way. And until sure. you kind of get over that next hump and say, wow, I felt that way, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it's and, and I think, yes, uh, there are things around body positivity and, um, and, you know, the 70% number is just, insane and you know you comment earlier actually um around you know the pharmacological treatments and you know i come out of pharma and you know gym as well you know the industry has been around for so long and been saving and extending lives for many years now the question is how do we progress that with behavior change and other modalities that potentially are not pharmacological um, is also important when i think the most effective treatment play at the intersection of those two things, right? The biological approach unlocks the behavior change. If if a decade of sugar addiction has broken down the signaling between your brain and your stomach, no amount of willpower is gonna fix that. But there are some medications that can improve that, that can improve feelings of hunger, feelings of satiety, et cetera. And we utilize those meds in order to unlock the behavior change. And the, the clinical evidence shows that that's where the best outcomes come from. Right. It's a little bit of an oversimplification, but asking someone who struggles with obesity to just diet and exercise and just try harder is like asking someone with major depression to meditate. It's helpful, right. but right, it's not going to get at the root cause right. unless you address the underlying biology. And so that's how we really have to think about the treatment of weight and obesity is in a much more integrated and multifactorial way that takes underlying biology into account. So how do I, how do I find found? So you can come to our website, joinfound.com. <laughs> okay. Uh, and there you enroll in the program. We need to collect a little bit of information about you, comorbidities, your sort of history with, with obesity. The reality is a variety of things influence obesity. It is your genes, it's your hormones, it's lived experience. It's also things like mindful eating and movement, but they're only a piece of the puzzle. And you have to address underlying biology in order to be able to approach those. Mm-hmm. And then, and so, and do you feel like, I mean, it's just, you know, these GLP ones, is that, is that what has kind of, you know, you know, is, is that, is that been such a catalyst to this, that it's kind of feels like it just kind of opens this idea of really rechallenging the biology or is it more than that? Or how, how do you view that? I mean, GLP ones are incredible. It really is a revolutionary class of drugs, but they're building on decades worth of innovation in this space. There have been some medications around for 60 years in this space. The challenge right. has been not that many doctors know how to prescribe it. And as I right. said, it, it needs to be done in combination with lifestyle change. So it's not just about your corner PCP getting you fentermine or a GLP-1, for example. It's what do you do with that? And who's doing right. the day-to-day hand-holding and who's helping you implement some of those other changes? And that's what we're trying to create in this wraparound program. You know, I, the other thing I was is GLP-1s are amazing but obesity is also fundamentally a heterogeneous disease. And so no one class of meds is going to solve the problem for everyone. And philosophically, we feel deeply that having the widest toolkit of possible approaches through pharmacology is the best way to treat the disease. And, you know, those are the thoughts of our, our chief medical officer, not mine. You know, I know what I don't know. I'm definitely not a doctor. The first hire I made after I joined found was a chief medical officer and I wanted someone who was a pioneer in this field. And Dr. Rekha Kumar, who sits in that seat for us, 
She's a pioneer in the field of obesity medicine. Prior to this, she was the medical director of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. So she's literally writing the questions on the test that certify docs in this category. We really want to be led by a clinical pioneer. The drugs are amazing, but the doctors are the magic and they're the ones that are prescribing it in the right way. They're titrating it appropriately. They're managing side effects. Like that's what we really want to celebrate, giving the doctor a seat at the table in obesity treatment, and then giving them the widest toolkit of things that they can prescribe in order to personalize a plan for each individual. Right. And what's in like a story, sorry, Eugene, I'm so fascinated, but like, what's no, like, a, love it. is there, a, is there a story that kind of like, I just imagine like, you know, the, you know, if you actually help someone lose 30 or 40 or 50 pounds or whatever that is, is it something that kind of just jumps to mind? Oh man, there are so many. I mean, there's an early member of ours, Tony, who's lost a hundred pounds. Now his PCP told him he wasn't going to make it to 50 if he didn't get his obesity under control. He, he has publicly shared a story about not being able to fit into a, a suit to be a groomsman at a wedding. And the challenge for him is that nothing was addressing underlying biology. He tried willpower over and over, and it just created those ups and downs. But we have hundreds of those stories. We've now served 135,000 members. Wow. So it's, it's all kinds of stories around folks. For me, it's, it's about finding joy in your body, right? It's not just the number on the scale. That's where the name of the business comes from, right? It's not what you've lost. It's what you've found. It's what you're able to do. Ah. It's and it's people okay. who can keep up with their kids on the playground or a story we get a lot is folks who stopped traveling because it was embarrassing to get on the plane and ask for a seatbelt expander to, to buy two seats. And they're now out there doing their hobbies or engaging in the things that they love. You know, the number on the scale is a blunt way that we can measure success, but really it's about better health outcomes and finding joy in your body. And as little as 5% body weight loss can have fundamental changes in hypertension, hyperglycemia, and you know the, the impact on health outcomes only changes as that number goes up. But the clinical gold standard is 10% body weight loss. You do not have to lose 50 or hundred pounds to have these impacts. 10% body weight loss can significantly change things like life expectancy. And so again, we're trying to focus on this through a health lens, not a bikini season or lose 10 pounds by my wedding, but like, how do we bring better quality of life, better health outcomes? How do we make you find more joy in your body? Awesome. And, and maybe you can talk a little bit more around kind of the behavior change, right? And, and selfishly as, as running a health coaching company with, with Marina, right? Um, behavior changes at the, you know, at the forefront and to your point, addressing biological uh, components of it for certain individuals, but you guys have almost, uh, you know, there is a biological component and there is a, let's call it behavior well uh, serviced by itself without that. Can we talk a little bit of behavior yeah. change and how it impacts? It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the core of our platform is biology plus behavior change brought to life through technology. Um, on the behavior change side, so the first hire I made when I joined was our chief medical officer. The second hire I made was our chief behavioral health officer, Dr. Acacia Parks, who I think you know. We, yes, we, we had her on as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's incredible. And I think what we have to do is invest in clinical excellence like that on both fronts, behavior change and medical, because that, as I said, is where the magic really happens. That's where we drive better outcomes. But we also wanted to make sure we were leading with real evidence and research there. So Acacia drives our theory of change. Her job is behavioral health strategy. It's 
uh, area of work that's informed by existing research and white papers, and she's built a full research team to support that, as well as our own clinical design work and studies that we want to run. As I said, we have 135,000 members who have utilized found. It's an incredibly rich repository of data that we can take a look at, and we can understand that certain movement modalities may better support people with certain comorbidities certain diets and combination with certain medications may drive towards the best outcomes. And that's where I think the data and the insights that we can drive through a leader like Acacia, through the team that she's built on the research and the clinical design side, as well as the coaching team she oversees, that's how we bring this to life. The way we think about behavior change is that it comes to life through product, meaning mobile app technology tools like routine tracking and different components that we've built into our mobile app. That's the product side and then people, which is coaching. And as you know, coaches are best when they can actually coach, when they can do the motivational interviewing, when they can get people back to their why. We don't think of coaches as program delivery. We think of them as program enhancement. So they can curate a program for one of our members. They can say, you know, look, actually you've got a great movement practice, but we're struggling with mindful eating. And here's the curriculum and the coursework that I'm going to equip you with in the mobile app. And then I'm going to be checking in with you two times a week, three times a week, really drilling into that motivational interviewing. And I'm here for you in the moments where you feel challenged. I'm here to equip you for your family reunion or for the Super Bowl party. Like how do I actually operate as a coach, not just a content delivery mechanism. And that's the, that's the type of construct we're trying to build. What's surprised you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, Jim. Go, go. Cause I, you know, what's like, what surprised you? Like when like looking at the data, like what's like, you know, what's kind of, when you see all these people, 130,000 people going through your programs, is it something kind of like, you know, cause we all probably all have a view about how we manage our own weight or you know, loved ones. And yeah. is something kind of changed your perspective seeing so many people come through? You know, I think one, one answer to that question is, is almost a response to something we were discussing before, which is like the percent of body weight loss and what really matters to folks. Yes, people are looking at the scale, but what they're really celebrating and what we as a company celebrate, what their coaches celebrate is the non-scale victories. And that's what we need to build this program around, right? It's like getting off your blood pressure medication or being able to keep up with your kids on the playground or go for a hike with your girlfriends. You know, like how do we help really refocus the narrative on that? And now because we've got all this great data around things like non-scale victories too, it's people writing in to celebrate that stuff and then celebrating with one another in our in-app community. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is you know, the medication is often a wedge in for us. It's, a, it's usually the reason people come to found versus mm-hmm. another program out there because they've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. But a lot of what keeps them diligent and accountable is coaching and community, right? It's right. the other people that are on this journey with them. And it's their coach being in their corner. It's feeling like they've got a human who has their back and who's helping them with adherence, accountability, engagement. And so I think that's where we feel like the magic comes from is like, how do we put this toolkit together for you? How do we give you the right pieces of a truly integrated care plan and let that be what drives better outcomes for folks? You know, we we also say like human eye is sort of better than AI and tech in many cases, especially when it comes to kind of empathy and understanding and helping you reach the goals, right? So tech will go so far and to a certain extent, uh, again, the biological 
or molecular uh, interactions also, and that's about sustainable change. And that's back to the human eye, that human being that's actually trained in motivational interviewing and other science-backed techniques is, is, the, is, is the key. So we're definitely speaking the same language. However, you mentioned a couple of times kind of real coaching, not um, you know content pushers or nudging or et cetera. And we've seen um, you know, lots of news out there. Many companies that surrounded their products and services have laid off uh, coaches um, you know, in the recent literally two months. You know, uh, again, without kind of naming the names, I'm curious kind of on your thinking of why uh, we have our own hypothesis um, as well on it, uh, but just curious on, on on your thinking in there. I mean, look, you know, we've obviously been following the news. Um, yep. Layoffs are so Everywhere. challenging, even when they happen to competitors, right? Like we, yep. we really feel for the human lives that are affected by that. I think... My thoughts go in two directions here. One is like the macro environment is challenged right now. It's gotten more difficult to raise money. I think if you look six months ago and the way that fundraisers were happening at that point, a lot of businesses felt like, let's just get to growth. Let's get to scale. We'll be able to raise again in six months. And maybe there were areas where people overhired. You know, I'm not on the inside of, of any of the yeah. other businesses. Yeah. Um, I think at the same time, like the real value to building an efficient stack in a business is having everyone do what they can uniquely do, right? So have the machine learning, have the data, do what only the data can do, which is to like mine from a lot of different data points, really relevant insights. Have the doctors do what only they can do, which is to prescribe, to understand someone's medical history. They shouldn't be the ones doing the day-to-day handholding. You know, so many PCs across this country are trying to do the prescribing, they're trying to do the handholding, they're like a full service integrated concierge that's really difficult this is where coaching i think can really uniquely fit into that stack and if we think about enabling coaches to practice at the top of their license if you will the top of their training do what they can uniquely do but then maybe we do use technology to deliver content or to deliver some sort of automated messaging Hopefully that enables us to set up an infrastructure that has the right ratio of coaches to humans, the right ratio of doctors to coaches, doctors to members, et cetera. We're, we're just trying to think about building the business in that way. Yeah. Right. And focusing on health. Um, maybe just um, kind of one, one more um, question. Where, where do you see, I think, as, as the industry, right? I mean, to your point, there's many new biological solutions, molecular solutions coming. There's a lot of innovation in, in the molecular space. There's a lot of innovation in digital health space. I think there's, an, uh, you know, other amazing workforces like health coaches coming. Kind of where, where do you see that the, the specifically, um, you know, let's call it diseases that can't potentially be prevented, but but also, uh, you know, not not oncology as, an, as as the example. But where do you see the industry going? Yeah, I think it's a super interesting moment in the industry. Right, there's a lot of tailwinds that are creating so much momentum. There's tailwinds on the telehealth side and in regulation yep. and just trying to open up more access. There's tailwinds in terms of the pharmacological innovation. There was a Morgan Stanley report out last week that I think said. Obesity medicine is a $60 billion industry by wow. as soon as 2030. Wow. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of these things 
coming to bear at the same time. We're seeing the value of things like health coaching. What we're trying to do is play at the nexus of that, right? We know yeah. that there are too few doctors that are equipped in obesity medicine, even though this pharmacological innovation is coming, they may not know how to prescribe. They may not be able to do the day-to-day handholding or the titration of the medication, the management of side effects. We're deeply focused on that. We're deeply focused right. on obesity, on weight. We think there are applications to other chronic diseases for sure, but because obesity and weight is the root cause of so much of this, we want to stay laser focused there. We want to build a best in class entity that has that full suite of tools available to us so that we can uniquely treat people based on their biology, not get everyone one class of drugs. Awesome. Before we go to Jim's kind of the usual final question, um, you know, you mentioned, right, you came through different industries and Jim eloquently described your path in, in, in two sentences or one sentence. Um, what was the biggest kind of like aha moment coming into this digital health slash right back into kind of health and care? Uh, industry coming out of humble like was there like a surprise or good bad or indifferent right just like uh you know I think um having now spent a lot of time in tech there is a lot of emphasis on like grow the user base and we'll figure the other stuff out later and that is not how you scale in health right trust is everything the only thing that matters is efficacy if the program works, people will come. And so I wouldn't say that that necessarily surprised me. That was probably my outside in expectation, but it is a different way to think about growing and scaling a business because I think they're, they're just different stakes. Right? Yeah. And um, I'm really proud of our team for the emphasis on efficacy. We joke that we want everyone to have that tattooed on their forehead. Like that is our North <laughs> Star right now. Does this program work? consistently for as many people as possible. If we focus on that, that's the best marketing in the world, right? That's the reason that people are gonna come to the platform. And actually, I think that's the piece that reminds me of dating in a way. It's like, it's a success story driven industry. If it works for people, they'll tell their friends about it, they will celebrate it. And I think that that's kind of the way that we wanna think about building is really focusing on clinical excellence, on efficacy, on letting folks like Dr. Rekha Kumar, Dr. Akesha Parks drive the business. It's my job to enable their incredible scientific leadership to touch the lives of eventually millions of people. But I really want to make sure that we're led through that evidence-based lens. Awesome. Awesome. Jim, all, all yours for the, okay. for the, for your famous question. <laughs> so Sarah, picture yourself walking across Charles Bridge in Prague. Ah. You finally go back to that vacation and you hear the sounds, you hear the the lilting sounds of a flute in the background and, and, the, and the flute music stops for a second and a woman yells, a young woman in her 20s yells, Sarah, Sarah, she calls across to you and she says, you're my inspiration. I, I come from, you know, my father, you know, inspired me or the way he learned, created a career in the pharmaceutical industry from nothing. And, and, I, um, and I saw you were a CEO of Bumble and you started this fantastic company or, you know, the CEO of Found. And you look at her and she said, what advice can you give me? I'm thinking of starting my own uh, healthcare company, digital healthcare company. What if, what one piece of advice would you give her? Oh my gosh. That is such a beautiful picture. It's really humbling to hear that. Um, maybe a theme that I came back to earlier, which is follow your curiosity and do things that matter, you know? And I think that looks different for everyone, what matters in their life. But 
I genuinely love work. I love what we're building. I love the team that we've brought together around this issue. And I feel like it's the most important problem to solve in healthcare today. And I think anyone who just feels that deep passion to build something that really matters in this world, you're going to encounter so many roadblocks as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, trying to scale a business. But if you deeply believe in the problem you're trying to solve and you're having a whole lot of fun doing it, like that's a, a recipe for doing something really meaningful and impactful in the world. Wow. Fantastic. Be- beautiful words. <laughs> I love this. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate being able to spend some time with you. It, it was yeah, a was pleasure fantastic. having you on. And for all the listeners and viewers, hit subscribe, pass it on, and see you next week.